Joshua, chapter 8, verses 30 to 35. Then Joshua built on the Mount of Ebel an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses. An altar of the uncut stones of which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrifices, fellowship offerings, there, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Leviticus priests who carried it, both the foreigners living among them and the native born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal. As, Mo as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel, afterwards Joshua read all the words of the Lord. Blessings and curses, just as it is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including women and children and foreigners who lived among them. We give God the glory for his word this morning. Thank you, Johnny. And let's just pray for Charlie before he comes to speak. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Charlie and we pray for him as he comes to share your word with us now. Please take those words, make them your message to each one of us. And please give us ears eager to hear and hearts and minds eager to respond to your call. Amen. Well, thank you for your warm welcome. And uh, it is warm, isn't it? It's quite mild today. Uh, it was so mild yesterday that my tortoise woke up. Um, so, um, must be mild. I don't know what to do, actually, whether to put her back to sleep or whatever. Anyway, um, I want us to start by looking at a little bit of the context uh, of the passage that we're looking at today. Um, if you were here last week, uh, you will have heard about Jericho. Yes? Nodding? Yes. Good. Okay. You will have heard about um, Jericho and uh, how uh, they crossed the Jordan and began their kind of conquest of the land of Canaan. Um, but there was a problem. 
There was a problem because someone had sinned and it had affected the whole community. Um, they'd gone up to fight against uh, the city called Ai, um, which you can, there you go, uh, which you can see there. Um, so they come in, Jericho, and then you've got Ai. Ignore the other arrows, we're just going to follow the one going up, uh, the second one to the left going up. Um, so that's, that's what's happened there. They've de they defeated Ai, but there'd been a bit, a bit of a problem because whilst God had told them to completely destroy everything and to leave it uh, in Jericho um, and, and not keep any of the plunder, there was someone who had kept it. And he said... Uh, it, it, in quoting in, in chapter 7, verse 21, he says, uh, there was a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels, that's um, two and a half kilograms of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, that's half a kilo of gold. Um, so I coveted them and took them, and they're hidden in the ground in my tent, and the silver is underneath. And God had told them to leave it, but he thought Achan was this guy's name. He said to himself that he knew better and that surely it would be okay just to take these few items. Remember, they were just entering the promised land. And this really reminded me, I don't know if you remember, of the, the account in the New Testament of Ananias and Sapphira, um, who... Had, uh, had brought some land to, uh, uh, or the proceeds for some land um, to the church, um, but had kept a little back for themselves and had uh, kind of made it seem like they were bringing the whole thing, um, but had kept a little back. And if you know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, the same thing happened uh, to Achan. Ananias and Sapphira, and that was just at the beginning of the church, as it were, as they're entering into the promised land, this new uh, experience of God's blessing. Um, do you know, this, you know the phrase, start as you mean to go on? My mum used to say that. I don't think everybody's mum used to say that. Start as you mean to go on. But it is important how we start. It is really important how we start. Um, there you go, start as we mean to go on. Whatever we're beginning, whatever we're beginning, we need to think carefully about how we are beginning. Whether it's the beginning of, of married life, whether it's starting a family, a new job, a new stage in life like retirement, a new school, a new university, a, a new house, a new location, uh, a new ministry in the church, or a new role in the church. We need to start as we need, as we mean to go on. Um, and th that's quite a stark lesson. Uh, God is very interested in how we start uh, whatever we're doing. By starting, we want to commit our way to the Lord, seeking right from the outset to, to know God's wisdom and his guidance. 
We start by setting down good habits, good routines. We don't just think, oh, let, let's get settled in and, and then we'll spend time with Jesus each morning or, or, or we'll try and work it out later or, you know, we're just kind of getting used to things. Let's start by getting into good habits straight away. Did you know that, that in the US, um, I don't know whether it still exists now, but there was a, a procrastination, po procrastination society. Um, uh, the president, a while ago, called Les Wass, said, uh, we're a little embarrassed. This, uh, this is the first time we've observed uh, the National Procrastination Week on time. <laughs> it was formed in 1957 and is devoted to putting off everything until tomorrow, or even later. We feel if something's worth doing, it's worth putting off. Uh, none of the 80 members or so uh, pay their subscriptions on time. If they did, we'd throw them out. So it's important. Don't put things off. Let's spend time with Jesus. Let's, let's get into those good habits. Back to Joshua. So if we, if we, here we have the invading force. They've won a very significant victory and, and after a little while that they stumble, but then they've won another victory and momentum is with you and the fear of God is, is on the nations around them. Now surely is the time to press on, seize the land. In fact, other kings were starting to gather and conspire against them because they could see Israel picking um, them off one by one and they, get, they were going to conspire together to defeat Israel. Surely now's the time. Now's the time to press on. But instead, Joshua head some 30 miles north to Mount Gerizim and Mount Abel. Not much of a, a strategy, is it? Not much of a military uh, sort of a, a, a good strategic way forward. And he brings all the, the men, the women, the children, the whole community is there, vulnerable. And they've gone to the foot of these two mountains. But Joshua is wanting to start as he means to go out on. The battles were important. <clears throat> Defeating the enemy and establishing a nation, yes, yeah, that's all important. But they were not the central purpose. What was the reason that God gave for releasing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt? Was it to go to the promised land? Well, actually, surprisingly, no. This is what the Lord says in, in Exodus 8, verse 2. This is what the Lord says, let my people go, that they may go to the promised land. No. Let my people go, that they may worship me. And the emphasis is 
all the way through Exodus, or this, this passage of them being released. Exodus 7.16 says the same thing. Exodus 8.21, Exodus 9 verse 1, Exodus 9.13, Exodus 10 verse 3, all saying the same thing. Let my people go that they may worship me. Their journey, <clears throat> their journey was not to the promised land primarily. Their journey was to God himself. Their journey was into a relationship with the living God. So what if Israel wins another battle and another after that? So what if they rout the enemy and defeat kingdom after kingdom? What matters above all is their relationship to Yahweh, their God. That relationship had been threatened at Ai and they needed atonement for their sins to renew their fellowship with the Lord. And she needed to recommit herself to the life that Yahweh had summoned her to. And that, that must come first. That was what was all important. Remember what Jesus said on the subject. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but lose his soul? What would it profit Israel to gain a homeland yet lose their relationship with God. Without God, they were nothing. Our relationship with God is what matters above all else. No matter what else is going on in our lives, no matter what we may be facing, no matter what, uh, whether we're surrounded by enemies, all that pales into insignificance compared to the importance of our relationship to the living God. Joshua paused his military campaign to remind Israel of that very fact. I don't know about you, but when you settle down to a quiet time, do you find um, that everything conspires against, uh, against you at that moment? There's a, you know, everything suddenly seems to crowd in, doesn't it? Uh, uh, spending quality time with him suddenly, suddenly seems like a, a, an uphill struggle, a battle. And when, when we eventually settle down um, to spend time with Jesus, 101, are you like me? 101 things stream into your mind of what you ought to be doing that day. Excuse me. Um, and it's so distracting. It's so hard to set our minds on Christ. It's so hard uh, to, to spend that quality time with him, that renewing quality time with him that we need. And the that's not without reason, because the devil knows that is where the danger lies. It's crucial that we spend time renewing our covenant with God, spend time with him, both on Sunday as we come together to worship him and individually on our own. 
Life's journey is not primarily to heaven. Though wonderful as that is, our life's journey is to a deeper relationship with God. Let me just say that again. Our life's journey is not to heaven primarily. Though wonderful as that may be, our life's journey in a very real sense is to God himself. And if you notice when the new heaven and, and the new earth are, are um, talked about in scripture, there's not this great long description about um, what the colour the grass will be or, um, you know, how, uh, uh, how things will function, whether, you know, what we will do there. Or, or the emphasis, although, you know, these things are touched upon, but the emphasis is always that God is there. That God is there in the centre, that God is with us. That's what heaven is all about. That's what, what we look forward to. What the Christian longs for. We have that deep relationship with the one that we love and that will finally be kind of finally be really fulfilled in the presence of God in heaven and in the new earth. So Joshua takes the nation to the foot of these two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And in between the two of these mountains, um, there is a place called Shechem. You can see that dot, so you've got Mount um, Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and then you've got Mount Shechem. Uh, sorry, Mount Shechem, is it? Not Mount Shechem, anything. It's in the valley, it's the village of Shechem. Uh, and that's sort of sitting there in the valley and I want just to take a, a moment to think about that it wasn't just a handy couple of uh, a handy couple of mountains where where people could go on and, and the voices could be heard in the kind of natural amphitheater Shechem was where Abraham was first promised the land of Canaan in Genesis 12 6 and 7 Shechem was where Jacob had returned safely from his long exile from the promised land in Genesis 33. Shechem eventually became Jacob's home and was, would be where Joseph's bones were buried. Shechem had a long association with the promise of God in, uh, to give them the land of Canaan. This was their inheritance. It was a place so closely associated with God's promised inheritance for them. And it was important that they use this place to renew their covenant with God. It was a very, very significant place, uh, a particular place that God's, where, where they were to remember God's faithfulness in keeping his promises down through the ages, through the generations, to their ancestors. It was a place to reaffirm the covenant 
that they were God's people. And they did it, they did it, excuse me, I've got a bit of a, they did it just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. Uh, And and you can read that uh, in Deuteronomy 27, 1 to 14. Moses talks, so you can get a little bit of a, a fleshing out of what went on that day. Um, in, De- in Deuteronomy 27. But this is an amazing scene. The whole nation gathered, entering into the promised, uh, entering into the promised land and the promises of God. So they stand there in, in a land mostly unconquered, surrounded by their enemies. And what are they doing? They're not battling. They're renewing their covenant with God. This is so significant. It's so important. They bring the blessings and the curses uh, uh, that were read. And, and as the curses were, sh- were, were read out, the people had to shout, Amen. Every time a curse was, sh- was read out, the people had to shout, Amen showing that they were committing themselves to the results that would happen if they disobeyed God's word. Showing that they understood that these were the requirements of God upon them. The blessings were shouted on Mount Gerizim and the curses from Mount Ebal. I want to stop for a moment and just notice something along the way. Where were the altars built? The altars were built on Mount Ebal. The mountain of curses. The altars were built on the mountain of curses with what? With uncut stones. What's the significance of that, do you think? For me, it echoes of something that was going to happen later. The stones were, were stones where there had been no human intervention. Stones that were uncut, uncrafted by human skill. This was to be a, an altar holy to God, not man's crafting. And why on the mountain of curses? The sacrifices there were to be an atonement to start off with. An atonement, that's a reconciling of God back to his people. When they failed to keep his commandments, a sacrifice was required in order to bring God and the people back together. It was a sacrifice that was noted as a pleasing aroma to the Lord showing that it was acceptable to God. Surely this was an echo of what was to come. Surely this is pointing to a new covenant, one where a sacrifice would be given on an altar which was all taken at God's initiative, that didn't involve the crafting of of human uh, uh, ingenuity or initiative. This was where God was going to come and God was going to do it. God was going to provide a sacrifice of his own dear son to die on the mountain of curses. 
and bring about a new covenant of grace with his people. So, and then afterwards they have fellowship offerings. The fellowship offerings were where part of the, uh, of the sacrifices, uh, the meat was kind of roasted barbecue style on, on, the, on the altar. And they were to share with it, share it with each other, and they were, they were participating in it. They were consuming it. They were, uh, they were showing that they were partaking of it, as we do in communion. They were partaking of the sacrifice, taking it in themselves. And they were able to celebrate on the mountain of curses. God's people able to celebrate on the mountain of curses because of the sacrifice of atonement. And we need reminding, don't we? We need reminding as Israel did, as they were reminded about this covenant with God. In fact, uh, it's the same covenant that the Israelites, Israelites were commanded to in Deuteronomy um, 6, to, uh, 6, 6 to 9. It says that it's to be on your hearts, that the, these commandments, this covenant is to be on your hearts, impress it on your children, talk about... Um, then when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them to your foreheads, like staple it to your head. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. God's saying it's, it needs to be everywhere, it needs to be every part of your life. As a people of God, that needs to be it needs to be so much part of, of who we are and what we do is God's word. And Joshua was told straight away when he, when he took over from Moses, he said, be strong and be courageous. And the very next thing he says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful in whatever you do. Keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Here again, uh, Israel is reminded of the covenant as a nation, as a whole. We see in, in Joshua 8.32 in this passage that we've just read, there in, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. Oh, how often we need to be reminded of God's word. We need to pause often and remind ourselves. This is why it's so important individually and as a, and as a congregation to come together regularly to listen to God's word, to worship him in gathering, uh, in, in the gathering of his people. I often wonder... Uh, I've wondered some of these things. I do wonder where they come from in my head sometimes. But I often wonder what it would be like if I was put in prison in solitary confinement 
for my faith. You know, things are changing in this country very quickly, aren't they? And I often wonder whether, uh, if I was ever put in solitary confinement for my faith, I wonder how much of God's word I could actually recall. I, could, I picture myself writing it, ascribing it on the walls, you know, and I think, oh, how far would I get? So important to have God's word in us. This is what we're doing now as we come together, we worship like this. Let's, let's, let's take the pattern from what was done on that day. And just as we, uh, as we get towards the end, let's look at, at what they do. First of all, they come uh, in repentance. The Israelites come, they need uh, to place on the altar a sacrifice because they need God's forgiveness. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, you've already been cleansed from your sin. If, we, if we've trusted in Jesus, we have already been fully cleansed from our sins. And yet, we also need to come back and ask for God's forgiveness again and again when we fail him. Do you remember the disciples in the upper room and Jesus is coming and he's washing their feet and people, Peter goes, oh no, you know, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if, you, if I don't wash your feet, you've got no part with me. And Peter goes then, oh, you know, the whole of me, give me, my, give me a bath. And, uh, and Jesus says to him, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean. Whilst we are clean because of the blood of Jesus, we need to constantly come back and ask him to cleanse us again and again to keep that relationship close so that there's nothing in the way of our relationship with God. Remember in the, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So that was what they were doing. They were having a sacrifice uh, of atonement. We need to remember what God has done for us. What is written in the, in the book of Deuteronomy? Well, there's a, there's a lot of commandments, a lot of blessings and curses, but there's also a lot of recounting. You know, this is what happened when you were delivered from, from Egypt. Um, this is how God delivered you from the hands of your oppressor and set you free. And we need to remember how God has set us free. So much of what we sing about is that, isn't it? So we sing and we, and we celebrate the fact that God has set us free to a new life, a future and a hope. God has given us a purpose. God has set his spirit inside us. Uh, and because of the atonement that we have, because of the atonement, we can be one with God again. And we celebrate what God has done, giving us that freedom to worship him. They needed to be reminded, reminded of what God requires of us. Joshua spent time writing out the commands of God and setting them up as a reminder. 
And then he read the law out to them, word for word. And as we meditate on God's word and as we hear it preached, Sunday by Sunday, God is by his Holy Spirit writing these words, not on tablets of stone, but on our hearts. And if you're anything like me, you need reminding. We need constantly to be reminded and refreshed from God's words. I managed to get all these things to begin with R to help us to remember these things. I heard that's what good preachers do, so I'm, I'm trying to do that. I couldn't get the rest of it to... Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> lastly, we need to renew... Renew our relationship with God together on the mountain, this community of God's people as we are today. Renewing on the mountain, they committed themselves to God again, to obedience to God, to walking with him, to, to pleasing him. And as we worship him, Again, in the songs that we sing, so often we're recommitting ourselves to, to him. To, to, we're taking time out from the world, from our daily lives, to renew our covenant with him. To allow his, his spirit times to, time to change us and, and renew us, ready for the battles ahead. Before we, we, we uh, close this, this sermon or we come into land, if you like, um, I just want to, to notice two more things. Um, and it, as we leave Joshua and the Israelites on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, I want us just to notice two things in the last couple of verses, verses 34 and 35. Firstly, they read the whole law. From beginning to end, nothing was missed out. Joshua didn't just turn to a few favorite verses uh, and uh, a few nuggets of truth uh, to help them along with the week ahead. He didn't just read them uh, his favorite bits uh, and give, them the, the, give him a positive outlook on life. He didn't just read the blessings, but he also read the curses. He read the whole law, including all the challenging bits. And we need to study the whole of God's word, which is why it's so good to do a series as you're doing. We need to study the whole law, the Bible, in all its beauty and wonder. Not just relying on a sort of scant knowledge of a few bits. Can I ask you a challenging question this morning? Are you spending time reading God's word each day? Have you read the whole Bible? Are you reading it regularly and thoroughly? Have you read the Bible all the way through? There's plenty of schemes out there to help you. Um, one of the, uh, that I've used a few times is called cover to cover. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, it's quite 
it appeals to my mind. Um, it's quite nice that it, it leads you through the Bible chronologically. So it grabs the prophecies that are applying to the particular uh, events in Kings and Chronicles uh, and sort of maps it all together. It's quite a good um, little system. But there's loads out there. There's some that give you a psalm and, a, and an Old Testament scripture or a new and an Old Testament scripture together. But we need to spend time so it's dwelling in our hearts richly by faith. So that it changes who we are by his Holy Spirit. We, we, need, to, we need to allow it to dwell in our hearts. And lastly, God's word was for everyone. It was for the whole nation. Everyone was there. The emphasis in verses 34 and 35 was, is completeness. It's the whole of God's word for everyone. It says that Joshua, there wasn't anything that he did not read. And there was the whole assembly of Israel, including women, children, foreigners uh, who lived among them. The emphasis here is on this completeness. Men, women, children, everyone. Even those from outside who had come in and had sided with the Israelites. Rahab would have been there. If you're part of God's chosen people, God's word is for you. God's word is for you. So, my friends, as we come together on a Sunday, this is not a small thing that we're doing. This is not a small thing that we're doing. We're starting the week as we mean to go on. We're coming and asking God to cleanse us from our sin once again. We come because we need reminding. We come to remember what God has done for us and to celebrate, to celebrate on the mountain of curses. We come to be reminded of what God expects from us. Most of all, we come, as the Israelites were called to, to God himself. We come to worship him having been released from our Egypt, from sin, from a life without direction and without hope, we come to celebrate together as we come to God himself and look forward to that time in eternity when we will celebrate with all the saints and all the angels in glory that God is with us. Amen. Amen, Andy. Thank you.